0: So good to see everyone who's here, Ken. My goodness, it just, I just uh, it's amazing to see good friends and, and uh, see them all gathered out here in the house of God. My heart can't help but go back to when we first came uh, to minister here, and I was thinking about it I, I wore a um, I think that that night, uh, first night I wore a kind of a bright green yep. leisure looking <laughs> suit. With the big old collars and and uh, back at the time and had that that brown hair just waving in the wind and and uh, I remember the fellowship uh, over in the little fellowship hall over there. It was so precious. It was always good food every night after the meeting, and then we'd uh, played ball, played softball, and all kind of games out at the campground. So it was so much uh, fun and great memories, and, and to be able to come back and and be with you guys is exciting. So we're, we're thinking about the future. We're thinking about God's goodness. You know, when you look back, you've, there's always good memories. There's great memories. And there should be good memories. Yeah. I pray you've got some good memories. Does anyone in here have a good memory? <laughs> Nobody? Okay, I have, uh, I have a few. I'll share them with you after since you don't have any. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, good memories, man. They're, they're just, uh, they stay with you. And, but sometimes we, we get kind of hung up in memories. We get nostalgic. And we, we look back and spend way too much time there. One of the most dangerous things you can do is to get out an old photo album. I know some of the young people won't know what that is. It's kind of like your iPhone pictures, <laughs> but they're in, in a book. And, uh, and and so you you... Go back. At, worst thing you do is go back and look at those baby pictures and go through all those memories. While well, the next thing you know, you have a box of Kleenex out. <laughs> you'll be crying and wondering where would the, those days go. So the best thing that you can do with life is always be futuring. It's to be looking ahead. It's to believe that the best is yet to come. And if we don't believe that, then we can't impart that. What happens? The next generation doesn't grab hold of it if we can't we can't believe it. And so you want to make sure that you're always believing that the best is yet to come in your life. Yes. If you're here and you're just uh, you're just starting out in life and a young person, you've got to believe that the best is yet to come. This isn't as good as it gets. No. And for uh, uh, for all the senior saints, can I tell you the best is yet to come? Yes. You know, the best is yet to come. Yes. Sure. Yes. And our local church uh, when we. <coughs> Transitioned the church, uh, it will be actually six years October the 18th since we transitioned. I had pastored at that time 28 years, eight months, and nine days. (laughs) 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 And uh, we we passed the mantle on, and and the church was uh, averaging about 1,000 in attendance, around 800 members when we transitioned. And I'm so proud of this next generation because we just kept telling them it's just going to get better. And the best is yet to come. And in the past five and a half years, uh, they have continued to grow. As a matter of fact, they're averaging about 1600 now. And the thing that's awesome about that is most of those are members. Yeah. Uh, we were averaging around 80 percent of our attendance as membership. But all of that new growth that's come in has, is uh, membership. People just jumping in and joining the church and wanting to get involved. How many of you know that's an exciting thing? And so, uh, the, Pastor Robbie, uh, my my oldest son, the the all the young people in the church—they're just doing such a fantastic job. They're baptizing folks every six weeks, and um, uh, as, and that's a that's exciting. We ought to be giving the Lord a praise offering for that. <laughs> Isn't that good? The water baptismal service every six weeks. They do it during the third service and. On Sunday, right in the middle of worship, there will be just dunking people in water baptism right behind the worship team. And that's so exciting. People's names flashing up. They're getting excited about those baptisms. And, and they just continue to bring people. And it's, a, it's, a, it's wonderful what God is doing. On Easter Sunday, there were 1,200 visitors 1,200 visitors. So we uh, had a fourth service to squeeze them in. They remodeled the sanctuary to add 180 more seats uh, at the first of the year, and they needed every one of them. Brought chairs out and all, and God just continued to bless. And and, uh, so God's adding too. There's a revival that's going on in this generation all across the country um we we've, we've helped a couple of pastors start churches one in Los Angeles and Hollywood some of the Hollywood folks are coming there and uh uh and then also in Las Vegas in Sin City hallelujah we helped plan a church and uh just uh, it's just i think uh about a year, a little over a year old, and they're already in a couple services and about 800 people coming in and, and that church. And so there's a revival. There's next generation, young people. I think it's important for us to make sure that we keep believing that the best is yet to come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you read the newspapers and the headlines, you'll get so discouraged yeah. and disheartened. And one of the worst things you can do is listen to the 24-7 news cable stations. Yeah. My goodness, that'll get you in depression. Yeah. It's just best to turn on some worship music and act, act like you know nothing about what's going on and just go ahead and <laughs> praise God. Because how many of you know God is on the throne? Amen. Can you say amen? amen. And uh, so, and revival is taking place. People are getting saved. And, and so get excited about it. And, and I say all that because of your theme, the best is yet to come. Uh, I want to share concerning that tonight. As a matter of fact, I'd just like to share with you, uh, live like the best is yet to come. Why don't we start that way? Turn to someone beside you and say, start living like the best is yet to come. (laughs) See, it's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to live it. Uh, you know when you were growing up when I was growing up uh, in church there were a lot of preachers preached a lot of stuff but they didn't always live what they preached and so it's one thing to say something the best is yet to come it's another thing to live like you really believe it and I think it's important that we live like the best is yet to come so go with me if you will to Deuteronomy chapter 1 Deuteronomy chapter 1 and we're going to read verses 6 through 8 and we're going to look at it in a way that perhaps you haven't uh, haven't looked at this passage before Deuteronomy 1 and verse 6. The Lord our God spake unto us in Horeb, saying, You have dwelt long enough in this mount. Turn you and take your journey, and go to the mount of the Amorites, and unto all the places nigh thereunto in the plain, in the hills, and in the vale, and in the south, and by the seaside, to the land of the Canaanites, unto Lebanon, unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give unto them and to their seed after them. Oh, isn't that exciting? How many of you believe there's a promise to your children and to your children after them? I believe that with all of my heart. Well, let's pray. God bless the Word tonight. Let your presence be upon it. Stir us and challenge us and and cause us, O Lord, to believe and live like the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name, everyone say amen. 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 Well, I've been looking around at my blessings lately, and uh, I'm so thankful for God's blessings. And I've got to say, I know God is a good God. We were singing about that. It was a real confirmation in my spirit, uh, that last song that we were singing about the goodness of God. How many of you are glad that you're being pursued by the goodness and the mercy of the Lord? (laughs) Hallelujah. And so I know He's a good God, and I've received the miraculous in my life. I, I honestly can say I am blessed beyond measure. And and I and I'm thankful, God. Um, it's not that there aren't some hiccups in life. I mean, I, I had a heart surgery about three years ago. And but uh, every day above ground's a good ground. It's good ground. How many believe that every day above ground is a good, good day? And it's the best best way to live. To turn to someone beside you and say, let's just live above ground. <laughs> And so when I, I've been blessed with material blessings, and I'm thankful for those but my idea of blessings extends far beyond the things that I, I possess. Uh, Jesus said about blessings in Luke 15:12, he said, "A man's life consists of much more than the abundance of things which he possesses. You don't have to have a lot of stuff to be a blessed person." Let me say it again. You don't have to have a lot of stuff to be a blessed person. Now, when I think of uh, blessings, I think of my marriage. Teresa and I will be married 42 years uh, next month, June 3rd. And uh, we're headed to Hawaii for, to celebrate. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> So and I'm grateful for that for a, a good marriage I, my children I, I'm thankful for my three children, really six, because when your kids get married and and they marry in the Lord, then their spouses become your kids too. So uh, I went from three to six kids and matter of fact, I think I like I like the ones they married better than my kids.) <laughs> I told my boys, my two sons, they married, they married up, so I mean they married up, they like escalator up, they, they married way above themselves, and uh, you know they they outkicked their coverage, you know what I mean so they did great, and so I told them just recently, I said, "Look, boys, if you mess this up, I'm keeping the girls, you can leave, you know." And so and so I'm thankful for that and then we have 10 grandchildren man I'm and then bl- the blessing of friendships how many of you are thankful for the friends that God's brought into your life uh, don't you feel blessed to have a friend yes. I, you know the the value of friendships it goes beyond uh, beyond uh, our imagination I mean it's abs- you get to go to heaven with these friends and I think of the fact that I am saved and how many of you know that's a blessing I'm saved my sins are forgiven I'm on the way to heaven and all my sins are are washed away by the blood of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's really what's happening here in Deuteronomy because Moses is, is doing the same thing. He's, he's nearing the end of his life and he's reminding the next generation of the mercy, goodness, and miraculous blessings of God. You can read that as you continue to read through that chapter. And at the same time, he's challenging them to move forward into the future that God has for them. And uh, that process, some people call it futuring. It just means I'm making deliberate actions and decisions, I'm making them with the future in mind. And so uh, that would be good for the young people that are here tonight to begin to make deliberate decisions with the future in mind. Not the decision of the emotion, not the decision of the moment, but the de- a decision that, that changes your future. And sometimes that's, uh, that's like my, my grandson, Judah. He had division one scholarship for basketball and and uh, a, a full full ride and and so but he determined in his heart he turned it down because he wants to go to medical school now a lot of folks would love to have that scholarship but he says I don't know that I can make the grade for medical school and be actively involved with because he knows the cost he already knows what it costs and so I'd already I was ready to buy all the sweatshirts and be in the stands and cheering him on <laughs> and here he is making a mature decision I don't know what to think about that. (laughs) But he made a decision with the future in mind. It wasn't a temporary thing. He said, I'm I'm not going to go to the NBA. That's not my future. That's not my destiny. So I'm going to do what's going to be my destiny. And so I'm going to jump in and do the best I can so that I can get the job I want. (laughs) Hallelujah. That's called futuring. And Moses is doing that. He's using his influence in this passage on the next generation. His children, grandchildren, even great-grandchildren. There in the crowd, and he understood that his influence was a gift from God. We have we have influence. God gives you influence. In here, for instance, uh, I, I ministered youth camps for many years, and. Uh, in those youth camps, you'd have seniors and juniors and junior camp. And and, for, and some of the camps, they all came together. All the way from elementary through high school, they'd be in the camps together. And some of the, the seniors were not being the example they needed to be at this one camp I was. They weren't entering into worship, weren't praising the Lord or anything like that. And so what happened was the camp director took the teenagers and put them in the back and put the junior campers in front of them so that they could see a good example (laughs) about how to worship. And how many of you realize, I want to set the example for those coming after me. And you're setting an example. You might be a high school senior, but you're setting an example for the freshmen. You might be the oldest brother in your house, but you're setting an example for all of your siblings. They're watching your life and you're setting an example. And so all of us have a measure of influence. It doesn't matter our age. So what we need to do is live like the best is yet to come. If you really want the next uh, generation or you want those coming after you to believe, act like it, live like it, yeah. <laughs> smile like it, yeah. get some joy in your life because you know the best is yet to come. And so Moses is doing that and he understood his influence. So less than two months, before they went into, into the promised land, keep that in mind, less than two months before they went in, he felt an obligation to begin to encourage the next generation to believe the best was yet to come. That's why I read those verses. He goes to them and lets them know uh, that you've got a future. It's not just, don't look back at the past, don't look back at the previous generation, don't look back at what's gone on in the past, and the 40 years of wandering here in the wilderness, you've got a journey ahead of you, you've got a trip you need to take, you've got some promises from God, and you need to walk on out there and fulfill them, because the best is yet yet to come, hallelujah. So when you do that, let me share with you about three things real quickly. The first thing, if if you're really making a difference, if you really believe in your heart that the the best is yet to come, you start thinking future. In our text in Deuteronomy chapter 1 verses 6 through 8, he's encouraging some progress. You, you notice that he says in verse, uh, uh, verse uh, 6, he says, you've dwelt long enough in this mountain. This is long enough. I've been here long enough. And then he says, turn you and take your journey in the next verse. And so the challenge is, let's, let's make some progress. Don't allow fear to paralyze you when it comes to believing God for better things. Touch someone beside you and say, it's going to get better for you. Now, if you, if you look back to verses 2 and 3, uh, you'll see that their parents had turned what could have been the best days of their life an 11-day trip from slavery into the Promised Land. They turned it into a 40-year journey of drudgery. (laughs) They they griped and complained, and I mean, until they all died in the wilderness. The whole generation is is dead. Uh, Turn to someone beside you and say, think future. Think future. Verse 7, he said, so turn you and make your journey. Your future, that's why you have to turn. Because your future isn't behind you, it's in front of you. The future's never behind you, the future's always before you. It doesn't matter what your age is, the future's before you, not behind you. So you can't go into what God has for you in the future if you're looking back at the past. The worst thing you can try to do is walk backward into the future. (laughs) Hello. Because you're probably going to stumble like I almost did when I ran over that thing a while ago while Teresa was singing, you've got to be careful. You've got to to look where you're going. You've got to watch the direction the future is in front of you. So what God has before you, the best is yet to come. Don't don't think for a moment the best is behind you. Start believing the best is yet to come. Now my wife and I believe that. We believe that when, and we loved pastoring, don't don't get me wrong, but we believe that when God told us to release the church uh, to the next generation that He was doing the best thing for us. And we also believe that it was the best thing for the next generation. And so we decided we're going to get on board with what God's doing. Now, you may ask me, did you know what you were going to do? Well, no. No. I, I had actually spent all that time getting the church ready and my leaders ready and uh, my replacement ready to take the church. And so I had them ready, and then it dawned on me what in the world am I going to do? And so I had been obeying God. And so I was thinking future for everyone else. And I think that's important. And, and you've got to think future for those that are around you, but you've also got to understand you have a future too. Behold, I set the land before you. I replaced that word land with future in verse 8. Behold, I set the future before you. It's not behind you. And I think one of the things when you're thinking future, you're encouraging progress, turn, take your journey. But also, it's because you want more for them than you do for yourself. Amen. How many of you want more for your children and the next generation, the generation after that, than you had yourself? Yes. Now, that's what I desired all my life. I grew up in, in poverty, extreme poverty. And uh, in the housing projects in, uh, there in Johnson City, Tennessee. And uh, I mean, I'm... I know what it's like. My father was an alcoholic. I, I know what it's like to, to be nobody in my family ever owned their own home or had anything of their own. And so my dad was struggling with alcohol, and, and my grandfather was a bootlegger. It's not exactly a proud heritage that I have, but that was, that was where my life was, and so I was born there. And, and as I'm coming up in there, I, I mean, I can tell you there's some perks to, to it. I, uh, government cheese, for instance, is pretty good stuff. <laughs> No, seriously, it's kind of like Velveeta. Comes in long, you know, don't believe me. I'm, I'm serious, it's, it's not bad at all. And, but now, what I didn't like was the powdered milk. I'm telling you, that stuff was, <laughs> that, was not, that wasn't good. But God, God brought me out of that, and I wanted more for my kids. So I began to pray God, I'm asking you to prosper me and bless me. You know, even when people thought it was wrong to ask God to do it, I was asking because it was an unselfish request. God, I want to make things different for my children. I want it to be different for my grandchildren. So I'm asking you, God, to bless me and prosper me so that their journey can be different than my journey. I wish somebody would shout hallelujah. And so you want more for them than yourself. Look at Deuteronomy 1 and verse 11. Look at what Moses said here. He said, the Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times. Everybody say a thousand times. A thousand times so many as you are and bless you as he has promised you. Isn't it an interesting thing that we wanted, he wanted a thousand times more for them than what he had in his own life. I want a thousand times more for what God has for bible Center church than what he's already done. How many of you want more for bible Center church? How about this region? How about this area? How many of you want more? You want God to do more? and you're expecting more. You're believing God for more. That's God's desire. It's encouraging progress and wanting more. I I wanted more education, more possessions for them, more miracles, more blessings, more faith, more hope, more joy, more peace, and even a greater love for God. You know, if you look in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 6, look there with me and let me just share a verse with you that I think is pretty awesome. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5, Moses is, is still, Uh, share in his heart for the future, for the the next generation. And he says, and you shall love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. He wanted them to love God with everything on the inside of them. His heart wasn't just that they would have the promised land, but they'd have a greater love for God than their parents had. That, and the generation before them who didn't even make it into the promised land. He's, no, I want you to have more faith. I want you to believe for more. And I, I want I want God to bless you with more love for him. It's amazing how, how a love for God can change everything for the, for the next generation. And then the scripture says he, he, he wanted them to have a confidence that God loved them. As a matter of fact, look in the next chapter 7. The Bible says down in verse 7, the Lord did not... Set his love upon you or choose you because you were more in number than any people. You were the fewest of all people, verse 8. But because the Lord loved you. Isn't it an amazing thing that you ask God, why do you love me? And he just says, because I loved you. Yeah, but why do you love me? Because I love you. Some of us want to find out why. Can I tell you, I got white hair right now. I can't figure out, at my age, I have no idea why he loves me. I've tried to figure it out. Every time I do, I run into a stone wall. Or I think of one of my failures, or I think of my past, or I think of my struggles. And I, I, think, I to this day, I don't understand why he loves me, but I can throw both hands into heaven and say, hallelujah, thank God, he loves me. Yes. And you don't have to understand why. And can I tell you, you might not understand why, but imagine how frustrated the devil is. Because he can't figure out why God loves you either. He looks at you and thinks, I can't get, what in the world does God see in them? And He would send His only begotten Son. He's kicking around the coals right now trying to figure out why, why God loves you like He does. He thinks you should be dead and buried and forgotten about by God. But instead, God keeps reaching out to you and loving you and blessing you and giving breath in your body and a heartbeat in your chest. Can somebody say, thank you, Lord? Thank you, Lord. Man, He loves you. He loves you. And so when you understand that, when you know you're loved by God, it changes everything. So, think future by encouraging process, progress and wanting more for those that are coming in, you know, in the days ahead. That's what guides your decisions, by the way. <clears throat> Speaking of leadership, when you start making decisions about how are we going to, what are we going to do next? How do we build, a, how do we change the stage? What are we going to do in the auditorium? Are, what, what's our next step? When you start planning vision and thinking, when you start futuring like that, It impacts the way you start. It it stirs the vision in you, and you start thinking as you're preparing things about the next generation. It's like when we built our our, uh, gymnasium, when we built it. uh, We didn't build it so that I could play basketball in it. (laughs) It was built so the kids could play basketball in it. (laughs) <laughs> and you may be saying, that's an awful lot of money to spend, and you not get to enjoy it. Oh, I enjoyed it. I love watching them out there. I wish somebody say, thank you, Jesus. You've got to get your joy in seeing the fulfillment of what God does in those that He's raising up. It affects vision and everything. And then secondly, you think followers. You don't just think future, but you think followers. In Deuteronomy 1, and Moses is still talking to and sharing his heart with, with the next generation, he says down in verse 27, Deuteronomy 1, verse 27, 28. He said, notwithstanding, you would not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. He's speaking of their parents. And you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us to the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us. Why should we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying the people is greater and taller than we. I want to stop right there and just say our brethren have discouraged our heart. Yeah. You know, when you're, not, when you're not thinking about the impact of your words, when you're just when you're grumbling and you're complaining like that generation was, and the Bible made clear it was in their tents, in other words, in their houses, yeah. in their homes. That's where they lived. So in their tents, before their children, they were complaining. And they were, they were actually, see, you've got to guard your words. When you think followers, you're guarding your words. Because somebody's listening. And you're wanting to, you're wanting to speak faith. You're wanting to speak the best is yet to come. You're determined in your heart uh, to, to talk about the future that's coming. And, and so Moses uh, knew that many of them had spoken evil. Many had spoken doubt, fear in their homes. They even spoke captivity over their own children. They actually said in their tents, it would be better for us to be back in Egypt. That means, you kids, are you listening? We're better off slaves. So they're they're speaking slavery and bondage and captivity over their children because they couldn't think future, and they couldn't think about those that are listening to them, and they couldn't believe the best is yet to come. I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm going to throw both hands in the air right now, and I'm going to say, God, help me to believe with all my heart the best is yet to come. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Eventually, if you live long enough, one of two things will happen. You'll become an old, grumpy, grouchy somebody, Or eventually, life itself will teach you to have hope. It will teach you to believe for better things. I think life should teach us to speak hope, faith, and life. In Proverbs 15 and 23, it says, A person finds joy in giving an apt reply. Oh, how good is a timely word. Man, I want a good word. I want a timely word. I want a word in season. I want somebody to tell me what God can do. I want someone to shout in my ear, the best is yet to come. I want them to say it to me until I grab hold of it and put my faith in it and step out by faith and obey what God's called me to do. Hallelujah. Amen. And, and not only do you guard your words because someone is following, you're aware that there, there are people listening and it's impacting a, a, another generation. But you also begin to guard your life because someone's watching. If you need motivation to live right and make the right decision, if you're ever facing a temptation, can I tell you the best motivation you can have is an unselfish one? It's to do it for somebody else. Amen. In other words, a man should be faithful to his wife, not just because, not just because, uh, uh, not just because the Bible tells him to do it, but also because his children are watching his life, the impact upon his children. Yeah. So when the enemy comes along and tempts you, you may not even have enough personal motivation to do the right thing for you. But if you'll get your eyes off yourself and get your eyes on your family, oh, that's good preaching right there. All of a sudden, you'll find yourself saying yes to the will of God because you're for once in our life. Let's do something unselfishly. Hallelujah. I had a man tell me once. He said, uh, well, I asked him. He said, will you talk to my wife and tell her to come back to me? So he's he's sitting and asked me for counsel, and I said, "Well, uh, you know, uh, you plan on coming back to the Lord? You're going to get back in church?" And he just got out of prison, and uh, so he he for drugs, and he looked at had spent five years there, and she was kind of moving on, and uh, so he's like, "No, he's uh, she should come back to me." I said, "Well, pra- well, praise the Lord, brother. You you getting in church?" Well, no. Well, you're giving up drugs, and no, you got to do that kind of stuff for yourself. You can't do it for other people. I mean, you know, I'll I'll live for God someday when I get ready, and I do for myself. Can't do that for other people. I said, well, who told you that? Do something unselfish for the first time in your life. Yeah. Go to church for your kids, for your wife, and for your marriage. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not rocket science. <laughs> And he determined that he just couldn't do it. And what can I tell you, if you won't do it for others, you'd never do it for yourself. And how many of you are glad that Jesus didn't have that attitude, but he went to the cross carrying our sin in our stead, thinking about our need. Hallelujah. I'm so grateful for that. And so you think followers, you think I'm going to guard my life because they're watching. And that's why I like the book of Deuteronomy, by the way. Uh, I know that this isn't why it's called Deuteronomy, but the word do (laughs) is used over 90 times. And the word obey and obedience is in every chapter, nearly every chapter it's emphasized So it's important for us to obey the Word of God, to do the right thing, someone say amen, Amen. to live in obedience and believe God for more and shout it out and guard our words. So I'm not just guarding my words, I'm guarding my actions. I'm not just going to say, I believe the best is yet to come, I'm going to act like things are getting better. (laughs) Hallelujah. Lastly, you think about finishing. In Deuteronomy 1 and verse 8, he said, behold, I have set the land before you go in and possess it. Now the past generation had a reputation of giving up before they ever finished anything. Maybe you have a habit in your life to your past is one of giving up. Make a decision to change that. Determine in your heart that the best is yet to come. Determine you're going to receive the miraculous and you're going to do it for the children. I like the way verse 8 ended because it said, go in and take it because I want to give it to your seed and their children. So God's already thinking ahead three generations. Yeah. He's already looking ahead and saying, I want to give this to you so you can bless your kids and your grandkids. Yeah. And so it's important for us to start believing that the best is yet to come because of the blessings of the Lord. And giving up, by the way, it just makes the journey longer. Yeah. It, I mean, it, not, not just that it slows things down, but that it should have been an 11-day journey. And it took 40 years. And they still didn't go in and possess what God had for them. Did you know that quitters never get there? Quitters never arrive. So after 40 years, they never arrived and still had no inheritance. And they were dead men walking. They were dead as they journeyed round and round in the wilderness. It was death by mediocrity. But in my heart, I believe the best is yet to come. And I'm not going to settle for anything less. I wonder if you'd stand to your feet with me. Yes, thank you. God responds to, to believing in your heart that the best is yet to come. He responds to it in two powerful ways. Number one, miracles. And secondly, motivation. Miracles and motivation. When you believe the best is yet to come, God starts acting on your behalf and starts making it happen. The power of faith, listen, you've got got to have faith to take hold of and possess whatever God has for you. Even salvation, how many of you know we're saved by faith? Not by our works, but by faith. So from the beginning of our walk with God, it's by faith that we appropriate what God has for us. We don't work for it. We can't earn it. We take it by faith. Hallelujah. And so by faith, I am saved. And by faith, I take hold of the promises of God through the years, it didn't matter what the church was doing, whether we were uh, buying property or building or whatever we were, we were doing at the time. It was, so, it was so far beyond my abilities and so far beyond what I could have done, so far beyond what a kid from the project should have ever been able to do. And, and on top of all of it, God took me back to my hometown, back to where I was raised, back to where everybody knew me. Back to where they knew my dad. Back to where they knew my grandfather and all the bootleggers that I come from. And he sent me to that place right there where those very same housing projects and the first thing he spoke to my heart was go back into those projects and start meeting needs. And so I went back in. Some of the senior citizens and the living in uh, older folks that were living there didn't have air conditioning. It gets so hot in the summer in Tennessee. So the first thing we started doing was buying window air conditioner units and installing them in those units. The city, as time went along, the city and the state uh, began to react to and respond to what we were doing to minister to the poor. Can I tell you, God, he might bring you out of something, but he'll take you back to it to make a difference. If you'll let God, He can bring you out, but He'll bring you back to make a change. And there's nothing more exciting than to see your old neighborhood, hallelujah, come to know Jesus. And God begin to make changes in in that that area and in the hearts of those people. And so now, right there in the city where we started, God has raised up the church to make a difference. And I believe that the best is yet to come. You know, I'm not the pastor there now, but I believe greater things are ahead for them than anything that we were able to do in the past. I believe it with all my heart. And I share it with them and I put it in their heart and I continue to speak it because the best is yet to come. And you know, Teresa, the best is yet to come for me and you. I mean the best in every way. The best kisses, (laughs) best hugs, the best life has to offer, the best that God... And, and you know, that's why in our travels, we, we find ourselves excited about the relationships and friendships that God's given us through the years. There's nothing more exciting than being around people that have known you and been a part of your life all those years. The best, listen to me, the best for you is yet to come. And you've got to believe it with all of your heart. Believe it with all of your heart. Miracles, and secondly, motivation. Miracles. When you look forward in faith, what God does is He prepares miracles in your future. He told them, Moses told them, if you will go in, God will give you that land. There's, all, There are miracles waiting on you, but you've got to go in. There were miracles waiting for your parents, and they didn't go in. There are miracles they couldn't believe the best was yet to come. they thought the best was back in Egypt. But I'm here to tell you that the best is in front of you. And you begin to step in. When you step in it, God says, I got miracles waiting over there. I'm going to give you the land of the giants. I'm going to give you victory over the enemy. I'm going to bring, see, the walls of Jericho would have never come tumbling down if they hadn't went in and crossed the river and went after the promises of God. The miracle is waiting on you, but miracles are waiting on our obedience. It's waiting on us to by faith say the best is yet to come. I believe God has great victories for every generation. How many of you believe God for more right now? Do you believe God for more? Maybe you have children, grandchildren, maybe great grandchildren that are away from God. And and it seems impossible right now that they could ever come to God. But can I tell you, I believe God wants to do greater things in them than he did in your life. Begin to believe that the best is yet to come for them. Oh, yeah. Even if they're away from God right now, you begin to say it out of your mouth and believe it in your heart. The best is yet to come for my children and my grandchildren. God's going to touch their life. It's going to turn around. The best is yet to come for them. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Believe that. And then motivation. Make this determination in your heart. I will make my life a blessing. As a matter of fact, let's say that out loud, everyone. I will make my life a blessing. Once more, I will make my life a blessing. I want to be a blessing. And so I'm going to determine in my heart. Best motivation to do that, I think, is say I'm going to be a a blessing to people around me. I didn't say I'm going to get mine. I didn't say your motivation was, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my stuff, I'm going to get my land, I'm going to get my position. No, I said, hallelujah, be a blessing to someone else. Because it's, it's in being a blessing to someone else that your miracle comes. Can I tell you, if it, in other words, if you determine in your heart and you say, I'm going to, I'm asking God to help me feed the poor. Well, what God's got to do is put some money in your hand so you can feed the poor. You get blessed because your motivation is to bless somebody else. You ask God to heap it on yourself, you're asking amiss. But when you ask God to help me be a blessing, oh, he loves that kind of prayer. Hallelujah. Oh, you want to be a giver, do you? Oh, you want to you follow my example. I gave my only begotten son, and you want to be a giver too? Well, come here and let me put something in your hand. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So you can be a blessing to somebody else. You don't need it, really, if you're just going to consume it on your own lust and desire. But if you want to be a blessing, oh, God loves to bless people like that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Glory. Amen. turn our heart and our affections to where we think of the future. We think of the children. We we think now that uh, how our success can be a blessing to the next generation, how our testimony becomes a strong influence in the next generation, how my marriage can be a strong impact upon my grandchildren. I love it when the grandkids come over, and they love to come over our house because they get anything they want. And when they come over to the house, they come over, they, they love the way that Papo and Grammy are always hugging on each other. They like that. They'll blush and they'll point at each other and say, look, Grammy and Papo in there kissing in the kitchen. <laughs> it makes an impact on them because they see the covenant, they see the love, they see what God has for them. Determine in your heart to be a blessing. Have a good marriage to be a blessing. Ask God to bless your finances to be a blessing. Ask God to turn around and cause you to be such a blessing that people will look forward to when you walk in the room. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. That's better than them running from you, right? Amen. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the promise that you have given us concerning the future. And in these past 30 minutes, it's been our heart's desire to set the tone lord for this great great conference weekend lord we ask you to put it in our heart to believe the best is yet to come and sometimes we admit lord freely admit that it's so hard to believe that because we judge our future by our past and so sometimes we look at our past and say well this went wrong and that went wrong and and so we think that's the way it's going to always be but help us to stop To stop judging our future by our past and start believing, oh God, that you will be faithful to us in the future. And so right now we're asking for healing in our physical bodies. We're asking for financial blessings for the windows of heaven to open and pour out blessings we have not room enough to receive. The only reason you would pour it out when we don't have room to receive it is because you want us to be giving out to make more room. And so God, we just you don't waste anything. So when you're giving more than we have room enough to receive, it's because you expect us to be giving. Hallelujah. To clear out some space for the blessing that's coming, the overflow. We ask it in Jesus' name, financially, spiritually, oh Lord, emotionally. Begin to pour it out upon us, oh God, and cause us to be a blessing. We ask it in the mighty name of Jesus We want to be a blessing. Oh, I want to be a blessing, Lord. Help me be a blessing, oh God. Oh, Lord Jesus. I believe the best is yet to come. And so from my heart, I declare it with everything inside of me. The best is yet to come. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.